Welcome to episode 142, Train the Brain, Integrating Biofeedback and Neurofeedback into Treatment, featuring Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge, Certified School Psychologist and Licensed Professional Counselor. Make sure to subscribe to be alerted about future episodes by Clearly Clinical. Learn. Grow. Shine. Hello to our listeners. My name is Beth Irias, and I am happy to be joined again by Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge. She is a licensed professional counselor, and she's also board certified in neurofeedback. And um, for those of you who haven't listened to her former episode with us, please take a listen. Dr. Roseanne joined us for a conversation about PANS, PANDAS, and autoimmune encephalitis, that if you treat children or young adults, and really anybody is really wonderful um, and important to know about. But Dr. Roseanne, thank you so much for joining us again. Well, I love having these conversations and I love that therapists at every stage of learning um, gets the opportunity to open their mind and hear about, you know, different clinical issues and different ways to treat them. Wonderful. I, I am very interested in biofeedback and neurofeedback. And this is something that you've been doing for years and that you've invested in growing your practice with. So before we dive into even what these are and how they work, why don't you tell folks who are listening about you and about your work and how you came to now focus with biofeedback and neurofeedback? Yeah, well, you know, I am a therapist, a a certified school psychologist too, and an author of multiple books. And, you know, I'm on this mission to change the way we view and treat particularly children's mental health. And I like to, all of my work is based on evidence-based holistic therapies. And so I bring and use these wonderful therapies that are safe, natural, and effective. And I have only utilized holistic uh, methodologies for 30 years. And about 20-ish years ago, I started doing neurofeedback. Um, and it's a, there's a great story behind that. And, you know, now I use uh, neurofeedback in the center, biofeedback in the center, PMF, which we can mention briefly and talk about. And I use these things remotely too. And so we do home-based at-home neurofeedback with clients all over the world. For for clinical and non-clinical issues, people can use this. And um, neurofeedback, just, you know, just for people to understand, and we'll dive more into the research, is that there are thousands, tens of thousands of research studies in regard to neurofeedback and biofeedback. And neurofeedback which we'll talk probably more about because it's harder to understand and it's a more complex process, um, has over 3,000 peer-reviewed studies. So regardless of what you heard, I want you to, you know, everybody here to have an open mind and think about how can I use technology to enhance treatment effects? um, And I use these therapies in conjunction with psychotherapy and sometimes we do coaching, parent coaching in particular, um, and and how they amplify each other and how we can utilize them in addition to other types of holistic therapies like dietary changes or supplements and things like that. So I'm hoping this episode, um, this is either going to be an aha moment for you or a yes, I'm already doing this. Um, But we need to be talking about different ways to regulate the nervous system because we are living in a time where everybody's autonomic nervous system is hijacked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are at a level of distress that I've never seen. I don't think any of us over 30 has has ever witnessed anything like this, what we're experiencing right now. And as of, this is October of 2021, the American Academy of Pediatrics yesterday declared a national mental health state of emergency. Um, And, you know, Prior to the pandemic, one in six adults were on a psych medication um, with record numbers of anxiety and depression and suicidal um, ideation. So we're not getting better on the methods we're using. We need to look at science and we need to look at root causes. Um, And we are capable of this as therapists, as psychologists, and mental health clinicians. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Roseanne. 
You had mentioned a tag word, if you will, and I want you to first start by defining it. You'd mentioned holistic therapies. Can you speak to first what that means when you say it, and then we'll dive into how that relates to biofeedback and neurofeedback? Yeah, you know, we all kind of have this idea of what holistic therapies are, right? And so when I think of holistic therapies, I think of therapies um, that are looking, that are connected to um, sources, right? So that's my first part of it, right? But there are also therapies that are safe and natural. And as much as I love pretty much all holistic therapies, the therapies that I use, the therapies I talk about in my books are only evidence-based. Even if it's emerging evidence, right? I want to look to the science. What is the science telling us about the therapies we are using in all areas, including psychopharmacological therapies in relation to mental health? And it's often surprising to people that, um, psych meds, particularly for children, are often used off-label, meaning there's little research behind it, but yet we use them. I'm not okay with that, and I'm especially not okay with that with kids. What I always say that with children, psych meds should never be the first line of defense. We should never be talking about it. I don't care what level of crisis a child is in. Um, I work with people in all levels of distress, including quite extreme. Um, I've never not been able to help somebody whose parents um, weren't committed. It's it's always gotten better. And that's because I'm using evidence-based approaches. So holistic therapies are therapies that are natural and safe. And in, in my case, I'm only using things that have evidence behind them. Wonderful. Thank you for explaining that. So why don't we start by a conversation about what biofeedback even means? Just let's define biofeedback and start there as kind of the umbrella and then get to the nitty gritty of what neurofeedback is. What is biofeedback? So we have this system called the autonomic nervous system and it regulates our stress response, right? And um, with biofeedback, we are consciously controlling our autonomic functions. So through the use of technology, right? And we'll talk about different technologies. There's all kinds of technologies related to biofeedback and biofeedback's approaching almost 100 years at this point old. Um, So you're learning to control your breath, your heart rate, your skin temperature, your muscles, okay? And what, what happens, two great examples of biofeedback, you know, what does it do? It regulates the autonomic nervous system gets people from that stress sympathetic dominant down to that parasympathetic state. That is the magic of biofeedback. Now, obviously, when you're doing things like controlling your muscle, right, we're using it very specifically often for things like pain that is a result of muscle or um, biofeedback is used a lot with bladder control. Um, So there's different functions related to that. Then there's something called heart math, which I know Beth, you and I have talked about, and, and it's a beautiful type of device. It's easy to use, accessible, I feel every therapist should have it, um, should be using it themselves, should be using it with clients. And what is it? So it's a device that has, um, measures your pulse and is able to, through a visual medium, show you when you're sinking your breath and your heart rate at the same time. And when you sink your breath and your heart rate through a very precise way of doing breath, diaphragmatic breathing and a long exhalation, you have all these clinical benefits that we have through lots of research. So we we are more focused, we are less anxious, we are less uh, struggling with mood, um, and we uh, improve our sleep, right? <laughs> so it's something where you're controlling your breathing, sinking your breath and your heart rate can be as little as five minutes, I like for people to do it for 10 minutes a day, maybe a few times a day if they're really struggling with a a more significant clinical issue like, you know, moderate to severe depression or anxiety and those kind of things. But it is immediate, the effect. So as soon as you go into a parasympathetic state, right? So I always call parasympathetic state the hot tub state. So it feels like that relaxed feeling you get when you're in a hot tub, if everybody can know what that is, you feel good, 
right? And so that's one of my favorite thing parts about biofeedback is there's that immediate body sensation. You're able to move the stress out of the body, which, you know, so grateful for these conversations that um, Bessel van der Kolk um, has brought into our world that our body is what's holding our stress and our trauma and distress, right? So it works on that body level to do that. So it's evidence-based, safe, easy to use. I personally have used biofeedback with as young as toddlers. Um, I'm not saying they can do it for 10 minutes, but maybe they can do it for 60 seconds or two minutes. It's very pleasant and easy. And that's just a great device. And another really simple, simple, simple form of biofeedback is temperature training. And you can go onto Amazon and you can search temperature training dots. Very inexpensive. This was my first foray into biofeedback. And I would, you, when you teach a person to raise their body temperature consciously, which you do with temperature dots and you haven't put it on their hand and you say to your client, I want you to focus on your hand and I want you to heat up your body and that temperature dot will change. So what's the point of that? Well, you go into what's called an alpha state and alpha is a feel good brainwave state. Um, It's the same brainwaves that come out when you're doing things like having a glass of alcohol or laughing, meditating, smoking pot, (laughs) Um, and you're doing these things. It's a wonderful, healthy replacement for that. Um, And, you know, you can send your clients home with seven temperature dots and, and have them, you know, do a scale. And, you know, where's your level of stress for those seven days? I'm a school psychologist, so I'm always going to tell you to measure things. (laughs) Um, And I love clients get to see their progress or lack of when we measure things. I think it's really, really helpful in a world where everybody wants everything yesterday. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, I'm i excited to have this conversation because I, like you, just nerd out on the science. <laughs> um, so to kind of recap what you've said, basically biofeedback is the training of the brain to control what are generally considered automatic body functions so that we can use our thoughts to start changing how our brains and bodies work together um, to calm things down. Does that sound like a fair synopsis? Yeah. And biofeedback is very accepted in traditional medicine. It's it's, uh, most of all the university hospitals will have a biofeedback clinic. I mean, it's used in a lot of applications and particularly related to pain. So um, it's a, it's a, easy thing to implement. It's easy for therapists to uh, learn too. So in terms of the implementation of biofeedback, so we have, let's say a clinician listening and they go, that's really cool. This thing about temperature dots. How does one start doing that? And is there a particular certification? Is there a training? Like how, how do we start to shift the psychotherapy, if you will, from the intangible to the tangible? Yeah. So there's lots of ways to get trainings and there are certifications. So, you know, trainings are where you start. And if you're like, wow, I really love this. I want to lean in and I want to get, I want to get certified. I always encourage certifications, right? This is somebody who has a bunch of them, different ones. And, and so what, you can do is the first thing you do is you can go to one of the national organizations like um, the certifying board for both biofeedback and neurofeedback is you can go to bcia.org. They have classes um, that you don't have to be certified to take, but they then will show you very clearly the certification process. And for both neurofeedback and biofeedback, if you want to be board certified, you have to take like a blueprint class that's like a five-day class and you have to get some mentoring. And um, it's definitely a process and a commitment and you have to take a test. Now, you can become certified in heart math and you can be a certified heart math provider and you can go to heartmath.com and they have a great training. And I'm going to tell you that um, between sort of 
different times of the year, they offer specials. So particularly uh, Black Friday and around Christmas, the holiday season, they'll offer like 50% off HeartMath certifications. Um, and it's great, great classes that really get into the deeper parts of what biofeedback is. Um, and, you know, everyone has different comfort levels. I know a lot of people are like, I'm not going to use something unless I'm certified. I'm telling you that biofeedback if you went and took one training, you literally can start using it the next day. I mean, it's an easy process. Once you understand the technology, which is simple, easy to use, um, requires, um, it's, it's, you can use it on an iPad or an iPhone, and there's an Android version. I tend to use the iPhone technology um, just because a lot of my clients have it and it's easier if I show them how to do it. So you can have it at your office and what I will do is show a client how to use it, leave it in the waiting room, and often I would have people do it for five or 10 minutes before a session. Some people weren't regulated enough and I did it in a session too. So there's lots of ways to use it. Sometimes I would use it with the parent while I was working with the kid. I mean, it's just when you're so stress activated, we know, right, the neurology is, is that you cannot, uh, your executive functioning goes offline. You're not processing language in the same way. You can't take action the same way. So you're working with somebody verbally who literally cannot process what you're what you're saying to them. You we need to regulate them. And instead of our first suggestion being psych meds, we need to think about what what's what's less restrictive, easier and not going to have side effects. And what I like about biofeedback is again, it literally works immediately. So is the person's nervous system going to stay regulated after your session? No. But once they consistently use it, um, at least biofeedback is going to be at least three times a week. Because um, again, they can get this device, particularly heart math is $150, $159. It's typically not a barrier for people. Um, then their nervous system is going to train to be in a parasympathetic state. The, 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 um, Beth, the point of neurofeedback and biofeedback is to train the brain, train the nervous system to be regulated and it, for it to be lasting. And that is what is a game changer in mental health. Because if we can pull them out of that hyper stress activated state, they are physiologically, they can make changes, behavioral changes. And that is the missing piece in our mental health. Mm. Okay. So you're saying when we're working with a client who is basically in a constant state of activation until we can bring them down to where their frontal lobe is back online, their limbic system is going wonky. And our goal is to try and stabilize that. Yeah. And we all experience that. I mean, it's not just clients that are traumatized. It's not cl you know clients that are having panic attacks. It's pretty much most of the world is is struggling with this high level of stress. It's, it's anybody that's dealing with long-term chronic issues or nervous system is going to be more activated. Sometimes they're going to come to you and they're clearly in fight, flight, or freeze. But if you've got a long-term clinical issue, most of the time they're hovering near that. And so it really affects how you pay attention, how you think, and how you take action. I mean, we know this. So when a therapy client comes to you and they're there for quote unquote talk therapy, you know, so yeah. someone said, their coworker said, you know, what if you saw a therapist? And so here they are. And you're recognizing clinically that maybe they would be a, a good candidate. Um, well, actually, therein lies another question. How do you decide? Clinic, clinically when you think someone is a good candidate for biofeedback? Yeah. Well, you know, I have a unique profit process. I have this method, brain behavior reset. And so my process is I don't work with anybody unless we're regulating their nervous system. I don't see anybody, Beth, that's not activated. I mean, that's not who typically comes to me. Every once in a while, maybe 5% of the time, somebody's like, I'm here and I'm a little off or I'm a little struggling or I want to improve, you know, this little skill. And they're not 
they're, they're in control of their faculties and they're able to really make good, healthy choices for themselves without constantly feeling like they're hijacked. That is not my population. So you have to honor people's population. You know, somebody mm-hmm. might be a grief counselor or somebody might work with somebody with adjustment issues. You know, I don't know those people, <laughs> you know. So the answer is what I like to do is I'm, you know, I'm really into somatics, right? So where, what I always say is, you know, where is this in your body, right? And I always get people to rate. You know, I'm the sud scale lady, you know, on a scale of one to 10 or a scale of one to five, how, how much are you feeling this? You know, how much of this is, is, you know, interfering with your sleep, your job, your relationships. And I want to hear where it is and I want them to continually rate, continually rate, um, you know, and on a scale of one to 10, this is my benchmark. If somebody is over a four, they are struggling in any area. So, so we know we want people under a four. To me, four is a manageable level. You know, that means 40% of the time they're, to me, experiencing something. It's still pretty high, but it's very different when somebody says like a thousand percent of the time yeah. they experience it. So um, I can tell you, you know, I have evidential you know, data, I use QEG brain maps or brain checks for if people aren't near me, like I have clients in Asia right now. And so I take statistical averages in certain parts of their brain. So I can see that their brain is, um, so, so a QEG is a visual representation of um, brainwave data, and it lets us know what's happening over structures and how the brain is talking to itself. And both are incredibly important. So we often think of just the structures like the limbic system and the frontal lobes and the occipital regions. But even more so in terms of regulation, it's how the brain is talking to itself, because that is what allows us to say, okay, this area isn't working or this is a very stressed area. How can I move around that, right? I always try to equate it to having multiple highways. So we have multiple highways instead of one. We have efficiency. We can get around things. Our stress levels go down. We can process things. So I can tell Beth just by somebody coming in, I mean, I know exactly what's going on because you can tell, well, this area is not working and this area is associated with OCD. And, oh, look, here, this is, inflammation in the brain. There's nothing else that it could be other than inflammation. It's two standard deviations outside the norm. So then I got to go, what would cause that kind of inflammation? It's a short list. They need a medical eval, right? I can't deal with that. Something that needs that. So I get clear data and I guide people on treatment based on the QEG. Now, learning how to do QEGs and interpreting them is a very long process and less than 2% of us interpret our own QEGs. Lots of practitioners are administering a QEG and they're sending out the data Mm -hmm. to be read and that's great and that's fine and nobody should ever feel less than. Um, So there's lots of ways and there are many people that don't do QEGs and they start neurofeedback based on looking at sort of just statistical averages. Oh, look, there's too many unfrunk focused brainwaves in the frontal lobes. Okay. What does that mean? How is this showing up, right? Um, And people should know that the FDA, for in terms of ADHD, lets you do a simple statistical average between fast and slow wave. So too little fast wave, not and too many fat slow waves. You can use that one thing as a determinant with a clinical intake to determine if somebody has ADHD and that's FDA allows you to do that. So there's other ways of assessing and being a data junkie. I am always like, where's the data? You know, what are we doing? I think clinical work is amazing. I certainly have 30 years and what I know today is very different than when I started in my twenties based on just working with doing thousands of intakes at this point. and that is my role in my company is I do all the intakes. So that is what I do all the time, intakes, intakes, intakes. And I love it because I'm a detective and I help people guide them to where they need to go. Um, and that's what all of us do in the intake. We're like, what's going on? How can I help these people? And what's the treatment plan? I just have quantitative data mm-hmm. to help me in that. And I'm grateful for that. So now that we've, I guess, established the quick and dirty, if you will, about biofeedback, will you dive more into 
what neurofeedback is, when did it really start um, in the field? I know for me, it's something that I'm familiar with. I've worked with people that have done neurofeedback. I'm familiar with the process. I've seen things like brain maps, those kind of things. But for people who really have no awareness, give us the history and, and what this is. And, and then we'll move into like, how can we actually integrate this in our clinical work? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, at the most basic level, you know, neurofeedback is a technology that allows a person um, to learn a new way to um, for their brain to regulate. And it's based on operant conditioning. And it's been around since the 60s. And as I mentioned earlier, tens of thousands of research study, 3,000 peer-reviewed. There's quite a few meta-analysis. And I know people have heard one thing or another and, oh, it's not effective and it it is and whatnot. I I can tell you anecdotally, and I know there's some research that is happening now, but they had to put on pause during during COVID. You know, a lot of times neurofeedback isn't effective because people don't follow treatment recommendations. You have to do a lot. Um, This is learning. You are using technology to reinforce the subconscious to to, um, have a new way of regulating. So you have an unhealthy pattern and, and, you know, we can talk about anxiety, right? So let's talk about an anxious brain. What I see in an anxious brain is a whole lot of over-communication, you can see it and it's like, I literally go to a person and I was like, oh, do you have inner chatter all day long? And they're like, oh, yes, I do. You know, <laughs> and you can even see regions in the brain that are associated with rumination. So then I can say, well, you're a negative thinker and you always are ruminating all the time. And um, you think, you know, and, and you can pick up, having, having done this a long time, you can um say to people, almost personality characteristics, like um, you don't tell anybody that you think negative things all the time, right? And they're like, yes, you know, because everybody who's a therapist knows that people are so harsh on themselves, right? And so what happens with neurofeedback is, you know, you're using this technology, the subconscious, as we all know as therapists, is running the show, right? So 95 to 99 point percent of time, your um, subconscious is largely in charge. So neurofeedback, unlike biofeedback, harnesses the power of that subconscious. So it's easier to understand it when you know how you do it. So the person is hooked to a computer. And in most cases, like the technology that uh, most providers use and I use, the person is watching a movie, And I've set a protocol where somebody has to decrease a brainwave and increase a brainwave. And there's different types of neurofeedback. I'm going to tell you, despite what each provider will tell you, they're all good. They're all FDA approved. Um, (laughs) And certain ones are better for certain things. And that is a truth. And you you have to go to a clinician who has a specialty in that area, right? So everybody who knows me knows I you know specialize in kids. And one of the biggest areas that I treat is more than 50% of my clients have infectious disease. So pants, pandas, Lyme. Um, I do a lot of OCD and a lot of anxiety. That is pretty much most of my people. Definitely got depression in there. But most of the time, they start with anxiety before they go into depression. So... So their brains, you know, you know, when you see them, you know, wow, that's a lot of anxiety. And you can see, you can see OCD and these patterns form. So when somebody's hooked to a computer and they have anxiety, what am I going to do? I'm going to calm down that hyper communication so that their brain can talk in a way where it can hear itself. And it's not all this all this time, right? And, and you're thinking, and I'm hoping you're relating this to your work, if people do breath work or meditation or somatic experiencing, you're like, this is what I'm doing, right? Well, we do that too, but we do this in addition because we're really getting that subconscious to calm down. So when they're in the computer, two to three seconds from the first time somebody's hooked up, immediately the subconscious says, oh, if I push down this brainwave and increase this brainwave, this movie will play. And so it wants this reinforcement and literally in two to three seconds will produce the exact perfect healthy combination of brain waves. It will go up and down and the more sessions you do, you're, you're doing two or three sessions a week, the further you get along, typically most people around somewhere between sessions 15 to 20, 
the the homeostasis, the brainwave that it wants to go to, that unhealthy rhythm starts moving and it resets mm. somewhere around 15 to 20. It will not go back. But what we know is that it will move forward much more rapidly at that point. And what happens at that point as you're, it's working a muscle. So you're training that subconscious, hey, listen, get into this regulated state, get into this regulated state, get into this regulated state. So you're addressing the, you're getting it down into a parasympathetic state, but unlike biofeedback, you're actually changing the function over specific regions in the brain, you're, ch- you're causing um, uh, electrical activity to occur in the brain, you're causing a cascade of action potentials, and you're getting change largely in the region where you place sensors on the head, and nothing comes through the wires, it's just measuring, you are training the subconscious to learn a new brainwave pattern. That is what you're doing with neurofeedback. Now, what we know through this research um, over time, right? So there's lots of different kinds of research. A lot of the studies in neurofeedback um, are smaller. And so there's a lot of meta-analyses because these there's been large, you know, pretty decent-sized studies since the 70s, mostly. Um, NIH has never funded one of our studies. And I know Bessel van der Kolk has literally pestered them <laughs> Um, and if you've ever heard him speak, he talks about it with quite a passion and, and even more swears than I use. So um, he's pretty frustrated by the process. But there's a decent sized study that's going on right now. And some of the preliminary results, because I'm friends, it's a small world, right, is that it's not just neurofeedback alone. It's lifestyle changes, right? And just like anything else, you know, you can't say I'm taking a med and I'm not going to do therapy, right? I'm, I'm going to do neurofeedback. I'm not doing therapy. People do that all the time. I'm like, no, that's not how we work. That's what my brain behavior reset about is I regulate the nervous system, teach them new behaviors, and we reset. And that is what we all are trying to achieve, right? What I'm here to say is there is another option in brain reset. And what I love about this is that what I love about neurofeedback is particularly, you know, any age, and I train people in their 80s too, but I mostly do kids, um, is that it feels good, right? So you feel calm and focused at the si- same time. Who doesn't love that feeling, right? And, you know, when you, when you have anxiety or depression or ADD, whatever it is, you got brain fog, you can't think straight, decision-making is hard, you, you feel hijacked, you know, and it just restores that inner balance in a way that, um, you know, there's no side effects that, you know, not, you're not gaining a hundred pounds from your SSRI. You know, these are all things that our clients experience, you know, and then their blood sugar goes all over the place. And then, then that's causing them to have mood problems. So um, safe, natural, and effective, it definitely requires a commitment, you know, and, you know, it's, um, I say all the time that I have the privilege to be the last provider that most people go to. And that's because I'm using science and really calling my clients on the carpet and making them do the work, the behavioral work in addition, right? Because I think that's the fallacy in our mental health, that there's a pill and I don't have to do anything. Well, if you're ripping everybody's head off all the time and you're in a shame cycle, you're going to still be depressed. (laughs) So let's help people and support that. It just becomes so much easier. Like the, you know, it's because, People often say, like, why don't you not want to work with people when they don't do biofeedback or neurofeedback and PMF? And I'm going to say, I'm going to be honest. It's so hard. It takes five times as long. And in the road just seems so unnecessary because when I regulate them, they can not only process, but they can envision and actually take those micro steps for change um, in, in a way that is so expedited and feels good for them you know, um, and, and for my parents, you know, they, they get to see the sparkles in their kids. They, they're so fear driven, right? I always tell my parents are driving the worry train, right? I've driven the worry train too. And I got off, um, as a mom, as a special needs mom. And, but you know, it's just so hard and, and parents are looking for natural alternatives. And, you know, I think that we have an obligation to our families to talk to them about things like, 
hey, have you thought about, you know, he, you know, he has Cheetos for breakfast and that maybe that's impacting his behavior. And then, and then saying like, hey, the most evidence-based diet for uh, mental health is an anti-inflammatory diet. You're not telling him exactly what to eat, but you know, there's family anti-inflammatory cookbooks. You could tell him to get my book. There's lots of resources out there. there's tons of books about mental health eating for mental health and things like that and you know we i feel that we have an obligation to our families who are increasingly are in such distress right 30 years ago my families were in distress but now everybody it seems like it's a crisis because it gets to that level so when we give them tools that are digestible and actionable in their life and we educate them about the whys. We educate them about a hijacked nervous system. I get great treatment compliance for my clients because they feel like, wait a second, like I, I can be in charge of this. I don't have to give my power away um, and, and I can do these things. So neurofeedback really works at that subconscious level, regulates the nervous system, creates lasting change in um the brainwave patterning that creates a healthy brainwave. And we have research as far as 10 years out that shows that it's stable over time, which is very exciting. So once you turn the brain into this, uh, you get it to get into a healthy rhythm where then, you know, what's a healthy rhythm? So not only is it performing in a way um, that is each area is not overworking or underworking. They're working the exact right level. The behaviors are declining. So you're seeing less inattentive behavior. You're seeing less rage and aggression. Whatever's going on with a kid, right? The behavior's got to match up. Um, what we're seeing is not only do people sustain those changes, but when we remap them, you know, as far as 10 years out, their brain is actually better than when they stopped, which is always so cool. And, you know, I get to see as having done this now for almost 20 years i get to see my kids that i worked with become adults and have their own kids at this point so you get to see people's lives being changed which is pretty amazing and all of us get to experience that as therapists where we walk somebody through a difficult time and you get to see how impactful you your work was in changing their lives and how healthy they are which is always that's why we're here I have so many questions about everything <laughs> you just shared in different directions I want to go. One of the things that stood out to me in what you said was the idea in your example about anxiety of chatter, that there's so much chatter that until we kind of silence that and get it more manageable, we won't be able to get to the more kind of cognitive work, if you will, um, the thought-based, feeling-based work because the brain is just on overload. Um you had mentioned 15 to 20 sessions of neurofeedback being kind of this magical number where the brain starts to adapt and create a new rhythm. From a treatment plan perspective for folks who aren't familiar with neurofeedback, what does that look like? So how long are these sessions? How many do you do in a day, in a week, in a month? How do you inform clients about what to expect? Like, Please give me that kind of elevator speech. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about standards. So like I always use sort of a moderate case of anxiety or a moderate case of ADD because that's probably most people's, you know, daily life, right? Um, and what they're, who they're treating, right? And so, um, and uncomplicated, you know, non-trauma depression, right? Moderate depression, you know, situational related depression that most people are doing about 40 sessions of neurofeedback, right? So it's just like working out. It's going to take some time to build this muscle. Most, on average, a typical neurofeedback is two to three sessions a week. One is not enough to get the brain to recognize that it needs to act like this all the time. Um, now, there's ways to accelerate that where you can do less sessions. And I work with people all the time, like do the biofeedback every day on top of that, or um, you know, switch into a gluten and dairy-free diet and sugar-free diet. That's a whole other thing, but that reduces brain inflammation. And we know that when we reduce brain inflammation, we do better. So most people, their sessions are a half an hour approximately. Longer is not better. The brain gets too tired in the workout, right? Essentially what it is. Are there times when I do intensive 
yes, people come to me, somebody's flying in tomorrow and they're doing an intensive. And um, when do I do intensives? Well, I don't take any suicidal case unless they're doing a two-week intensive with me. That's just what it is. I have an ethical responsibility and we do kind of a wraparound with a lot of intensive psychotherapy in that too. Um, And so sometimes people want to do a lot of neurofeedback quick. Um, It really is bio-individual and it's specific to a case, but the standard is two to three. What should people expect? Change is gradual. So what it typically does, you notice it more if you're really anxious, right? Because when you're anxious, all of us have experienced anxiety. We went to graduate school, people. And so, (laughs) right? I remember I had to take like a two-day eight hours, two days, you know, test before I could even do my doctorate, you know, and um, oh my God, that was rough. Um, And I was the first person I made them put it on a PC, right? Because it was the 90s. And uh, people were so afraid of discs, they didn't want to do it. And people hand wrote it. But me and two other people, we were like, no, that saved me. The idea of handwriting for 16 hours was not happening. (laughs) So... (laughs) So we all have our stuff, right? It's what you do with it. And um, so so what most people will notice subtle changes, but then the less in touch a client is, the less they're going to notice it, right? So I got a really ADD boy. He might not notice it, but he may notice it. Typically, people around them look for gradual changes, right? So typically, where you see things is the reduction in the intensity and frequency of that issue, right? So when we do a lot of research with people with ADHD, because it's so easy to measure, right? Particularly our behavioral kids. So let's say I have a kid who's really um, has tantrums, okay? So the first question I ask is, what change in frequency and intensity and recovery in that case? And parents will tell me very specifically, absolutely the intensity came down and the frequency went down. Um, and we we use charts, right? So we are always measuring. So we have multiple QEGs, but we also rate behaviors and even our therapists rate behaviors and because I want people to see their progress because mm-hmm. all of us who are therapists, people say, I don't notice anything. And then we're like, huh, that's really interesting. You got a job now, you have a girlfriend and you don't notice anything. And the therapy had nothing to do with it. You know, <laughs> Who, who's all been there? I hope everybody's cracking up. So um, people do neurofeedback. And this happens a lot with my um, kids on the spectrum. And the parents will be like, I don't know if it was neurofeedback. Okay, because I just don't know. Or they had a developmental growth. And I'm like, okay, so now they're invited to play dates. You haven't had one call from the school. No, this is neurofeedback. <laughs> You know, so uh, <clears throat> so you're going to notice gradual change. Now, if somebody has a brain trauma, a brain injury, sometimes they will get a, almost like a light switch change that could happen early or later in the 20 sessions. That it, it is a sort of a wild card. And when I mean brain trauma, people we have birth traumas. We have that stuff all the time. I mean, this is a common occurrence. Um, And many males have head injuries, particularly many males with depression and ADD have head injuries. If if they have a history of playing any type of contact sports, they're they're almost guaranteed to have had a head injury that could be a factor in their um, treatment-resistant anxiety and depression. So it's a common, common occurrence. So that's what you want to expect. You want to be a therapist. In, in you as a therapist, if you're referring out to somebody who does neurofeedback or we're going to talk about how you can get trained in neurofeedback, you should expect actually some um, quicker insights. You should expect a more rapid progression in your therapeutic process. You can expect um, you know, what you might have done at session 12, you might be doing at session six. So they're going to be more open because when somebody's at, we know this, when somebody is more regulated, they are able to do that work in a set in the session completely differently, right? So it, it just allows that to happen much more easily. 
which is which is amazing. So and and again, I don't want to dismiss the efficacy of biofeedback because it gets a person regulated too. You just have to incorporate that and it might be part the first 10 minutes of every session and and you say, "Well, I don't have time for that." No, I'm telling you you do because you're going to expedite the therapy because they're going to be cognitively available. In my world, knowing about neurofeedback and biofeedback, one of the things that I want to briefly touch upon is payment. Um, yes. So oh, sure. biofeedback has been done for decades. There is so much research behind it and it is covered by insurance. It's possible yeah. for insurances to cover it. Can you speak to the neurofeedback phenomenon and what you're seeing shift? Yes. So as we're recording, this is October of 2021, but if you can speak to people who yes. are wondering how do people pay for neurofeedback and where are we right. going in terms of insurance coverage? Okay. So number one, QEG at this time is not covered, but it can be part of an intake process. And QEG okay. reminded me the acronym. Um, uh, hold on. It, it's our brain map, right? So it is, it's a big old world word, right? So EEG, just so everybody knows the difference between an EEG and a QEG, an EEG is when you suspect somebody has pre-seizure activity or seizure activity and they go to a neurologist and they're measuring, it's their raw brain waves, okay? So quantitative encephalography QEG um, is basically a statistical analysis of that raw data and they're compared to a database and then that's what gives that raw data. So that's not covered by insurance. Biofeedback and neurofeedback can and cannot be covered by insurance. It's very unique to each person's plan. Many professionals are able to code out for biofeedback as long as you have to check your state as long as a certain amount of session is done traditional therapy so you can incorporate it and code out for it and the person can get can get reimbursed most people including myself i've never taken insurance where i live in the country it's a standard where most people don't take insurance so it's just that way and people are comfortable going out of network it might be very different where you are. Um, and in fact, my state requires out-of-network uh, coverage for any company that has over 50 employees. So people get out-of-network coverage. They're able to have it. So nobody, you know, some people are bothered by it, and but most people aren't because hardly anybody takes insurance. And in fact, I only have one or two medical doctors that take insurance. And every, even my medical doctors are out of mm. network. So depending on where you are. So you have to check with, in your, in your, um, you know, in your state, but it typically the, the, what it is, is at least 15 minutes of the therapy is a traditional psychotherapy and the remaining can be biofeedback or neurofeedback. And a lot of biofeedback has to be pre-authorized too. So you know, for anybody who takes insurance, you're all, you're all probably like, you know, our state, the state of Connecticut, the state insurance allows neurofeedback. So, you know, very unique to each place. Thank you. I appreciate just yeah. covering that point because that's another consideration of how much does this cost. So knowing that this is widely uh, ranging, for out-of-pocket, if we're looking at true blue neurofeedback treatment, how much does it cost if insurance I is not covering say, it? Right. So biofeedback is typically less. Most people are charging 50 to, let's say, 150 for a session, right? It's a little different. Um, could be more if they're doing things like for the bladder, right? Because that involves a whole other thing. Uh, and that's usually a, a physical therapist. Um, and then neurofeedback um, is typically most sessions are 100 to, let's say, $300 a session. It really depends on the person's experience um, and how they do their sessions. It's widely, you know, and, and here's what I want to say, you know, I certainly... Um, you know, I didn't get certified immediately. You had to go through a certification process and we'll talk about what that looks like. Uh, going to a certified provider like myself, you had to do a lot of stuff to get there. So your training is sort of guaranteed. Neurofeedback is as much a science 
and an art. And the art, just like us as therapists, comes with clinical experience, right? So, you know, I literally can look at somebody's brain map in 30 seconds and tell you exactly what's going on. And I've gotten to the point where I don't look at their intake notes that they fill out um, until I look at the brain map first, I say, this is what it is. Then I cross check it with the intake notes. Then I actually do the intake. Um, and it's pretty accurate. Now that's from doing thousands of them. So, um, and protocols, you know, here's the process. Let's, can we talk about how to get trained to do neurofuex? It's probably a good time. So first of all, the organization is, um, you know, you're going to the International Certifying Board, BCIA.org. It's the only board that certifies you. They break out exactly. You can click on how to get certified, right? Um, and you want to find a place that does, uh, has a BCIA certified course. And you can just search BCIA certified, certified course. There's a lot of them online now. <laughs> I like to do it in person because trust me, the equipment is not easy, right? So, um, so one of the, there's a lot of pros in neuro, you know, neurofeedback and we can talk about some of the pros and cons, but one of the biggest cons is like, what equipment do I get? How do I do this? And there's a lot of fear. And I'm going to tell you that learning neurofeedback is hard. It is, it is a commitment and, and, you absolutely are all smart enough to do this. I'm just telling you everybody, okay? But you need two years and you need to say, can I commit for two years and I'm not doing other trainings and I'm just going to work on this. It's that serious. And I've had MDs tell me it was the hardest thing they learned to do, okay? So, but with that being said, you absolutely can take the course. You can get mentored. You're going to have to get mentored. Um, you have to get a lot of mentoring hours in order to get certified. And let me tell you something. You're going to want to get mentored. I mean, when I started, I if anybody knows my story, I, I how I got into neurofeedback was I had a client to this day. It was the worst case of uh, ADHD I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he had the attention span of seconds. And uh, he had a unbelievably high IQ and had zero productivity and was thrown out of many schools. And his mother came to me, he would have been diagnosed with autism within a matter of months. There's no way he couldn't, he didn't fit in a box. And his mom took him, she called me and said, Hey, do you know about this neurofeedback? Should I do it? And I said, Oh, I did a paper on it in grad school and you should absolutely do it. And I was like, there's nobody near us. She said, yeah, I got to drive an hour and 10 minutes, three times a week each way. I said, do it. So he comes up to me months later in the street and he puts his hand out and he looks at me in the eye and he says, how you doing, Dr. Roseanne? I couldn't even control myself. And I let out, I'm sure, several swears and said, what the hell medication do you have this kid on? And his mom said, that's neurofeedback. And I was like, oh my God. So I started sending clients and they started getting annoyed at me. And then I was like, I got to learn this. You know, I had a baby and I went and learned it. And my life changed forever. So when I was getting training and I was using a volunteer, it was my friend's son, Zach, who is um, amazing human being, one of the best human beings on the whole planet. He said neurofeedback totally changed his life. And I had mothers calling me. I heard you're doing neurofeedback. And I went from zero to 14 people. And I was freaking out because I'm all about excellence. And I was calling my mentor two or three times a week. She basically was telling me exactly what to do. And, and uh, you know, I'm the kind of person who, who jumps into things, but I am super nerdy and always making sure I'm doing everything right. And it was an, it was an amazing experience. I don't recommend you getting 14 people in a matter of weeks, okay? Because, but me being the the person that was like, I got to help these people. You know, I was like, okay, you know, and I had somebody helping me and we did it together and it was, it was a great experience, but you have to get guidance and support and you take a class, a good provider um, won't be, a, will be equipment agnostic, right? So you're not going to a place that only uses one kind of equipment because you want to test out equipment. And that's where I did. I went out and I tested different equipment. And of course, I picked the one that like is the hardest because I could see more, I could get more data. Go ahead. Let me just quickly jump in on that for our listeners that have never kind of seen how this works. So the brain map that Dr. Roseanne is describing, they put little sensors on your brain and then you're 
basically instructed to stare at a, a hole <laughs> in the wall or something like that, just to basically get a baseline of brain activity. And then when you come in for a neurofeedback session, they're strategically placing sensors on parts of your scalp. None of this hurts. There's just a little bit of goo um, that they're putting on your scalp. And then from there, you're basically staring at a computer or a TV screen. And what's happening on the screen is being manipulated by what's happening in your brain. So it could be that like for little kids, for example, it may be um, something that appears like they're flying a rocket. And when their brain is producing certain waves, it makes the rocket go faster. And if their brain reverts to a prior pattern that is not ideal, then the screen might turn black, for example. So for people to kind of visualize what we're talking about. And we um, use movies, Beth. So like number one movie is like Back to the Future. So Back to the Future gets really small. Um, if you're not focused and then you, your subconscious brain will focus itself to get this movie to be play a large regular screen again. It's pretty fascinating. Um, and uh, that's exactly what it is. It's not evasive. It's benign. It's not a big deal. I'm going to tell you that I've only had two kids ever reject it. And both of them were behavioral issues towards their parents looking for control. And we got them to do it based on a, you know, a token economy kind of thing. And, but it is easy and pleasant and nobody really minds to it. Uh, on maybe t two or three times, I've had somebody be allergic to the paste. Um, but it's, you know, very, very pleasant. And people will say, I mean, I'm watching a movie and it feels good. So I don't really mind what it is, but it's an, it's, what the hard part is, you got two obstacles as a clinician, learning your equipment, right? And, and understanding what that equipment is telling you, what is, is it telling you? Is that person um, focused enough? Are they benefiting from the training and picking the protocol? And the picking of the protocol is the hard part, but it comes with experience. It comes with mentorship. Um, it's a wonderful addition uh, to a clinical practice. You're helping people. It's a great revenue builder. Um, it is a different business model, and you need to be prepared for that. Some clinicians administer their own neurofeedback. We have techs. I mean, it all depends, and no one is better than another. It's what works for you and your business and your population, um, and there's lots of ways to do it. So you find a course. You uh, find with the certification processes, I, I would only recommend people get certified. There's many, many benefits from it. And you can you can start out by taking classes. Um, you know, I'm part of a board, uh, Northeast Regional Biofeedback Society, nrbs.org. We do classes all the time. We have a conference coming up with uh, Peter Levine and Stephen Porges are at our conference. Um and, you know, you can get your feet wet, you know, and Bessel van der Kolk has a whole bunch on his website, too, um, where he talks about neurofeedback basics and things like that. It's how he is probably the number one person bringing this to therapists and opening their minds. I've met many therapists, trauma therapists in particular, who said, I never even heard of neurofeedback. I mean, how could this be around for that many years? And that's your process. It's really training, learning, getting mentorship really, you know, digging deep into that. And after a couple of years, you know, you can come in, you don't, it doesn't take two years for you to get going, but at two years, right, you start to get, it's like regular learning to be a therapist. You start getting really confident and comfortable with it, you know, um, but it, it is definitely a learning curve and, um, you know, we're all stretching ourselves. Some of you are taking on doing EMDR or, you know, somatic experiencing. You're learning different things. This is just another tool in a different way. And it's really designed to regulate that nervous system so the person can do the work in the therapy and really just be unstuck. I mean, that's what I look about these brain-based technologies. It gets somebody unstuck to change their behaviors. Wonderful. Um, I think what you've provided in terms of the roadmap for clinicians is really helpful. And also remember the power of Google. If you're if you're listening and you are not able to or not wanting to pursue certification yourself, more and more providers are 
doing neurofeedback, whether they're clinicians or MDs or lay people um, have these uh, certified centers. And I know in our area, there are a number of providers that do neurofeedback. Um, so it just depends where you are. But I personally have seen the benefit for clients that have that kind of overactive nervous system, usually in, in my case of the population I work with because of past traumas, things like that. And so they're hypervigilant yes. um, and bringing them down to a state where they feel relaxed again. Um, so I've seen that and I appreciate that. And, and I don't do neurofeedback feedback. I don't deliver biofeedback myself, but I have referred out and have seen the benefit clinically. So thank you, Dr. Roseanne, for suggesting all of this as a consideration for a way to complement our therapeutic work. And thank you for bringing that up because it's a great way to connect with a provider. I, I do a lot of this work for other therapists. And part of what I do is even when I do a brain map, I go back to the provider and I give them insights on how to work with them because from certain areas of activation, they can't, you know, this person needs to have visuals, this person needs to hear things in this way. And um, therapists are always really appreciative of that. And I love the collaboration process. So it's a great source of, of networking. And, you know, we all need more therapist um, friends in the world so that we can do this work together. So for our listeners, before we tie this up for today, for our listeners, you recommended where to get certification. Are there any other resources that you found to be really helpful of websites to start with? Um, a question I have for you. This day and age, now we have these products appearing online for people to do at home on their own. So for example, something like the Muse or there's the Mendy headband that's recently been released. Can you speak a little bit to those as well as kind of an adjunctive thing where you pay a certain number of hundreds of dollars, but it's not the thousands of dollars you would spend on neurofeedback at a center. Tell us about kind of these different resources. Yeah. So, so clinician guided neurofeedback, like I do clinician guided at home neurofeedback versus wearable devices, right? So obviously clinician guided is always going to be, you know, the Bentley, right? <laughs> you know, you're going to work on those direct areas of dysfunction and, and correct things, right? But I love wearables. And what do they work on? So they work a lot on what we call cortical timing and the communication networks in the brain. And that is where most people have dysregulation anyway. It's a wonderful adjunctive. Here's the thing about at-home anything uh, is, is accountability, so are people actually going to do it? Do they buy the device and it sits there like the um, treadmill that you're now using as your clothing rack, right? So that's my worry. And, you know, like I have a family that they could be doing at-home neurofeedback and they drive um, an hour and 50 minutes each way for two twi twice a week. And I'm like, you know, you don't have to. And they're like, no we will be better if we do this. So understanding what your clients need certainly can recommend them. And, and can you incorporate that as part of homework, right? We don't use how homework, we use the word practice, you know, or treatment enhancement. Can you incorporate that as a check-in in your, in your therapeutic process? I would definitely recommend that. Um, so where can people go and learn more if they're curious? Well, there's lots of good national professional organizations, and I'm going to give you three. So uh, one is that I'm on the board of. So I, I have to say since 2014. So that's the Northeast Regional Biofeedback Society, nrbs.org. Um, and there's information, lots of trainings, right? And then we have our two nationals. So we have isnr.org and aap.org. So INSR and AAPB, and they have information, lots of research, um, great information. And another person who um, is just an incredible individual, and, and you should read their story of why they got neurofeedback. They're scientists, um, and their son had epilepsy, and they said, hey, just give up on this kid. He's going to die. And they said, what is this? This is the 90s. This is crazy. And they took on neurofeedback. And that's EEG spectrum. And they um, do a lot, have a lot of research, a lot of digestible information. And they're just, um, they're wonderful human beings. And their son, by the way, Brian, is doing pretty darn good. And they stopped his seizures. So... <laughs> 
So get information. There's lots of videos. You know, there's videos on YouTube. I have videos on YouTube. Um, it's it's something that I want you to see as an efficacious, non-invasive, pleasant therapy. Certainly, the cons are is that it's time. Com- you know, need requires a time commitment. It's not cheap, um, and you know, but it does, and it's very much dependent on the practitioner in the in the efficacy of it. So, you know, when you're recommending, you know, find out. There's all kinds of people who do this, chiropractors, nurses, therapists, psychologists, MDs. You know, when I got trained, there was a bunch of, I was in with a bunch of neurologists. So, um, so, you know, who, who, and just because they're neurologists doesn't mean they have more experience in it. So it's really, you want to find out is, is this person experienced in your population and can you collaborate, you know? Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Roseanne. And I think you and I would both agree too, that the hope is, is that as, as this research becomes more and more tangible and known that this will become more and more affordable for folks and that more insurance companies will cover it. And that that is a change that we're seeing even in the last few years. Um, And same happened with biofeedback was in the beginning, it was no way, no how, and then more insurances started covering it. And so the hope is that more insurances will be covering neurofeedback and we can offer this as a benefit um, to more patients when it doesn't become so cost prohibitive. So thank you for bringing up that piece about price. And QEGs will be covered at some point. So there, there, I have some back knowledge of background knowledge of it. It is we were told what needed to be done, and they're doing that research now. Wonderful. Always a pleasure, Dr. Roseanne. You've shared so much information, a lot of food for thought, and I'm sure that there are many clinicians listening going, I need to learn more about this thing. <laughs> so thank well, you. And that's exactly why we did this. So thank you, because we want to open your mind and open the door to these technologies that support our clients that are struggling. Wonderful. Thank you again for joining us. And again, for our listeners, please take a listen to Dr. Roseanne's other episode that we did discussing PANS, PANDAS, and autoimmune encephalitis. Um, it is very helpful helpful to have someone like her who has this breadth of knowledge um, in these different uh, illnesses and also modalities that can help improve our clients. So thank you again for joining us, Dr. Roseanne. Thank you. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.